Lord, we do bless you. You are such a good God. And we are amazed at the good things you have done. Amen. Some of you didn't hear me. I'm sorry. I just said God is good. (laughs) Amen. So we're coming back to where we began four weeks ago in this scripture where we took a 30,000 foot view of these scriptures. And now this morning we're going to get a little bit more in depth into where we were and talk about the intentional imperative that we have to love. When I read these verses, um, I don't know if many of you saw it, but years ago there was a film called Shawshank Redemption. And um, yeah, it was a popular movie. It was a movie I just thought was filled with many examples of the gospel and certainly one of those that fits very well with these scriptures this morning of where we start with this, um, these verses of, since you died with Christ to the elemental spirits of the world, why do you still live as though you belong to the world? And then if you've been raised with Christ in three one, seek the things that are above. I, I see this whole idea of uh, this imperative of this man who's been accused of, of sinfulness, a man who's been living in prison for a long time, and his only hope, his only desire, his every passion in his life is to be free from this prison that he lives in. Or, you know, rightly or wrongly, whether we all deserve it or not, we're all in prisons of some types. And we, we see in the movie this man who's in a prison driven by freedom. So much so that he, he spends years digging a tunnel uh, to tunnel his way out of this this prison, and if you remember the movie, the storm comes and a, and a starts to pound upon a, a sewage pipe. Remember, with a rock to break a hole in it, and then he crawls fifteen hundred yards through raw sewage in that pipe. And if you remember that scene, he comes out of the ground filthy, uh, with matter that's on him that just is awful. But he desired freedom so much. And as he comes out of that pipe, he rips his clothes off and gets a bar of soap and he washes himself clean and he puts on brand new clothes and runs for freedom. And that's what Paul is telling us in these and these pictures that you used to be that man, you used to be that woman who was stained, who crawled through the sewage of this world, the fallenness of this world, the brokenness of this world, only to have Christ come to you with a bar of soap and clean you and cleanse you and put new clothing on you so that you and I might run free. And that's why I want you to hear the imperative of the love that Christ has for you through these verses. In verse 12, we start with then where we'll focus this morning. Put on then. We're to take off those things. As Paul said earlier, we're, we're to take off in the way that we used to walk, the way that we used to live, uh, and put them away. 
And he says those things look like anger and wrath and malice and slander, obscene talk from your mouth. And he gives us an indicative from there. Don't lie to one another again. But then he gives us another indicative in verse 12. Now that you've lived that life, now that that life is no longer the identifier of who you are, then put on what does identify you, the clothing of Christ's love for you. As chosen and dearly loved people. As chosen and dearly loved people. Those two truths are elemental to understanding the gospel in your head and fully knowing it in your heart. The idea of being chosen. Again, we can debate some other time on when that began and how that actually occurred. But the important point for you to know is that you came only through the redemption and the justifying power of the love of Christ for you by the inworking power of the Holy Spirit in you to see and to hear it because God ordained it to be so. You and I, there's not one person in this room, not one person who is a follower of Jesus that came to that conclusion on their own. It was God who beckoned those people, you and I, to come to Him. It was the desire of God's heart. Now let me break this down for just a moment. The desire of God's heart. When we begin to really comprehend the idea of a Trinitarian God who's completely satisfied within himself, we have to begin to break down this. What does it mean for one who's completely satisfied within himself to actually have a desire? Is it a desire like I have? I have, a, I have a desire to have a child, or I have a desire to have money, or I have a desire to have power in my position. I have a desire because there's something lacking within me. It has to be different from that because God has no lack. God doesn't have an emptiness within himself that he has to fill. So get this. Get this. The way that God desires is that God chooses for himself. To desire. That God adores you and I because He places His adoration upon us by His own willful choice to love us and to desire us. And because God is infinite and God is eternal, you and I must understand before one star was cast in the heaven, before one planet was made, before any angel was created, you were in the heart and in the mind of God before any of that ever happened. Because he chose to set his affections upon you. It's astonishing that God would willfully 
so choose in his own heart to say, I will love you. I don't need you. I don't have to want you. I don't have to desire you. I don't have to reveal myself to you. But I will willfully want to do it. What an amazing grace. And then not just to choose you that you may be known by him, but also to be his beloved. That he would set his affections upon you. The word here is a word that means intimately loved. That, that God would come only by his grace and say, I will pour out, I choose to pour out my heart to you. Do you understand what this means? That God willfully again chooses to give you and I the opportunity to break his heart. What kind of God does that? What kind of God says, I will love you with a love that is so intimate, so close to me, I will set you as my beloved. I'll, I'll give you the moniker. I'll give you the title of bride. I'll give you the title of my beloved. I'll give you the title of my people. I'll give you the title of the ones who have my heart. I'll give you that moniker to carry in your life. And by doing so, I also give you the opportunity to break my heart. And I will love you even through my broken heart. Because you're mine. What kind of God does that? Well, obviously a God who is love. A God who once again chooses to reveal, to give us a revelation that He is love. Filled with compassion. Filled with mercy. Filled with kindness. Who would deliberately choose those who could break his heart. To love us even through the breaking of his own heart. And God said, or Paul says under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. In light of that then. Because you are the chosen ones, because you are holy, you are set apart, and because you are beloved, put on then compassionate hearts too. You see what the Holy Spirit's telling you and I this morning is because God chose to have an imperative, an intentional imperative to love you, then you and I too must be like Him and put on the attributes of the clothing of His Son, Jesus. And the first one of those, obviously, would be compassion. So we look at this. Good intentionality begins with a new life. Good intentionality begins with a new life. That because we are born... By the love of God, we are born again. We are set free out of that sewage system. We're set free from a world that would cover us in an unmentionable matter. And we've been cleansed from it. Only by a compassionate God, we then clothe ourselves 
with the availability of what Jesus has provided. Compassion. Clothe yourselves in with compassionate hearts. Careful to understand the emphasis of the word hearts. Compassion is not external. There are many people who do compassionate works, but their hearts are hard. There are people who do works so others will notice. But their hearts are hard. What's the difference? The difference is the motivation. The difference is the recognition and the motivation that God has been so compassionate towards your own heart that you can see no other way but to be compassionate in your own heart. The compassion flows as a response. The compassion flows as a reflection. It doesn't flow as a work. It flows as a characteristic of a new nature that belongs to you because Jesus has provided it for you. Well, another article this clothing that Jesus provides is this. Kindness. Kindness. How kind has God been to you? You say, well, sometimes I don't feel like he's been so kind. My life's been hard. I've had struggles. If you're here this morning and you've, you've been in a hard life, you've had hard struggles, you've had things that hurt, hear me clearly. The kindness of God is speaking to you right now and saying, you have a life. You have ears to hear this great and grand news that God loves you. He didn't have to have you here this morning. He didn't have to allow you to come in. He didn't have to have you have a heart that would might be open right now to even hear the word that you're loved. But you are here. He did beckon you. You are wanting, you have the desire, right, to be loved. Is it not kind of him to say those words to you? That he loves you? What did you do to deserve that the king of the universe would show you and I? What have we done that the king would show us such kindness? To have a roof over our head right now that, so the sleet wouldn't hit my bald spot. Seems minimal, doesn't it? Don't you laugh, Emma. You need to go ahead and get that out right now. Because that will bother you the rest of the sermon. <laughs> But don't you understand, it's those, it's those minute things, those, that simple minutia, that simple little thing of my head is cold and God cares. He's kind enough to put a roof over my head right now. He didn't have to. 
I don't deserve the roof. And this is part of my clothing, though. That same kindness that He has given me is the kindness I'm to give you. And you're to give me. Right? Sure, Pastor. It's a nice thought. Humility. That's why we couldn't say kindness, because we were being humble. Proud of my humility. Yeah, think about it a while. You'll get it. Oh, this idea of humility. What, do, what does it mean to be humble? Well, it means a realization that everything that I have, everything that I've been blessed with, from the minute stuff to the grandest stuff, everything came to me by grace. And therefore, I am humbled. I deserve nothing. And yet God has put me in a land that is rich and wealthy. He's put me in a place where grass grows in the summertime. He's given me the coolness of the winter. He's given me the warmth of lighting. He's given me heat. <laughs> He's... He's given us food. He's given us freedom to go from state to state to state. He's given me the opportunity to complain. You'll get that one later too. He's given me the opportunity to be judgmental. Oh... I have the opportunity to be in charge. He's given me the opportunity to have authority. <laughs> Amen. To set an example, Emma says. Don't you see the real opportunity that you and I have? is to be humble like Jesus. He's given you and I the opportunity to follow Jesus. The definer of humility. Though he was a king, he came as a pauper. Though he's God, he came as a servant. And though he was whipped and beaten and ostracized, he came as a lover. The humility of our Christ is the opportunity for us to be like him. That is the road of humility that we must travel. It is the imperative of intentional love. We have been so intentionally loved that the Son of God would come and die for us. His imperative was that you knew that you were loved. That He would humble Himself from the highest of heights to the lowest of lows. That He might serve you. That you might know you were adored. What an amazing thing. 
He might come to serve you. That you know that you are adored by whom? The Father. Blows my circuits. Blows my mind. It ought to blow yours. You should never be the same. You should never treat another person in the same way. Because God, the Father, sent His Son in humility, stripped naked on a cross, to love you intentionally, that you might know that you were adored by Him. Is that not kindness? Is that not compassion? Is that not humility? Is it not meekness? You see, this new life starts with a new wardrobe. And the article of this clothing is humility, compassion, humility, meekness, and patience. The bearing with one another is the result of having this clothing. What does that word bearing mean? It's a word that means that we're locked in arms, one with another. We're holding one another up. Think of a a football game where uh, one of the players is injured, can't walk, hurt knee or something. What, What do you see? You see the trainers run out on the field, right? And you see normally two little small guys like me, want to be foot, want to be football players, but, but never got big enough to, you know, to do that. And yet these two little small guys put that 300-pound, six-foot-seven man, where do, where do they put him? They put his arms around their shoulders, and what do they do? They bear up his weight. And they carry him for healing. Isn't that a picture of the church? Isn't that a picture of you and I with all of our wounds? We all have hurt knees. We all have broken elbows. We all have things about our lives that aren't work, that don't work. Aren't we supposed to be bearing one another up? Not criticizing one another. Not pointing our fingers at one another. Not pointing out the lack of one another. But looking and seeing where... There are lives in this church that are hurting. There's lives in these church that are injured. And you may not even know the depth of the hurt. You may not even know the depth of the injury. You may not even know there's a hurt or an injury. And that's really none of our business sometimes. But what is our business is to realize every single life in this church has been touched by the sin of brokenness, of having to live in a world filled like a sewage pipe. And the people of God should be bearing one another up without having to know the cost. We should run to one another with hearts that are compassionate, filled with kindness, and meek enough to slide underneath the dirty armpit with great humility. And carry one another through this life. 
It is time for the people of God at East Glenville not to live alone any longer. Why? Because love is no good in a closet. Love does no one any good in a closet. Look at verse 14. Paul says, above all these things, put on love. It binds everything together in perfect harmony. You see, you and I are not only the receptors of love, but we're the reflectors of love as well. You were created to be a receptor of God's love. That's why you were chosen. That's why you were elected. That's why you were set apart as holy. That God so desired you that He would want you to be a receptor of His redemptive love. Not only a receptor, because it won't do anybody any good in the closet of your own heart but to be a reflector as well of that love which He has placed in your heart. Don't you see? You are the image bearers of the One who is compassionate in His heart. You are the reflector of One who is compassionate in His heart. You didn't just receive it. You've also been beckoned to the imperative of love to reflect it. You didn't just receive humility. You're also to be a reflector of humility. How the world might be different if 250 people or so would realize their intentional imperative is to love Everyone whom they come in contact with. Especially their brothers and sisters in Christ. Especially bearing one another up. You see, because love, the love of God, has borne you upon His own shoulders. You say, how does that happen? Well, behind me there's a cross and a wall. That cross is the reminder that as Jesus carried that crossbar upon His own shoulders, He carried me upon His shoulders. It wasn't necessarily warm and fuzzy for Jesus when He bowed His back up to receive the whip on my behalf. I'm sure at that moment, his heart towards those Roman guards wasn't necessarily, oh, these are warm guys. I, I really like them. But what he did was, intentionally, by his own will and by his own power, intentionally chose to say, Father, Forgive them. My imperative is to love them. So
show that. They would know that they are loved by you and they may love one another as you and I love one another. We must, like God, choose the imperative of love for all those who we come in contact with. What does that look like? If it starts at home, it looks like with your spouse or with your children. Think before you speak. Take a moment and pause and say, if, uh, what's about to come out of my mouth? Is that love? Listen, you're not going to always get that right. But if you start trying, you might last 38 years. 37? 48? How many? 50? 75? 75 years? Wow. Huh? But listen, listen to the testimony of that. I, if, if I know this at 38 years, that it doesn't come natural, think about 50 years. Willful decisions have to be made intentionally so to live together that long. I promise you, Lee has made intentional decisions to love me. Yeah, but less. We make intentional decisions to love someone. Do it more. Not because you have to. Not because you're obligated to, but because you realize how much you're loved. Let His love for you motivate you to love others. You see, that's what the Word is telling us here. The imperative doesn't come from trying to be loved. The imperative comes because you are loved. That's the Gospel. That God loves you so much that He gave Jesus for you. And gave you eternal life so that you might be a receptor of His love and a reflector of His love to those around you. By intentionally choosing to love. What does it look like outside? Real quickly. Looks like maybe before you have that criticism that you're about to express to someone about where they have either let you down or you've had lack in some way with that person, maybe you can think of it a different way to encourage them with what you're about to say. Simple as that. Maybe, maybe, maybe they haven't let you down as much as you thought they let you down. Maybe there's something really going on in their lives that you don't know about. You're just ticked off. Your agenda didn't happen. And maybe you should just stop and take a breath and say, I don't know everything here. How can I encourage this person? Maybe it's a boss. Maybe it's a, maybe, maybe it's a church boss. Maybe it's a pastor. And you're looking and you're thinking, who, who, who does he think he is sometimes, or... Or why is he making this change? Or 
Why is he saying that? Or why didn't he say good morning the right way? Maybe there's something going on in his life. Maybe just like you, his, his heart has a bruise on it. Maybe just like you, he's, he's got children who could possibly sometimes frustrate him. Possibly, he might even be worried about his retirement. He, and there's all sorts of things. Maybe a word of encouragement. Before the criticism comes. That's not, I'm not saying that just for me. I'm saying that for everyone. I don't mean that to be sound self-serving because I'm really not. What I'm trying to do is to reveal to our hearts this amazing gospel that has transformed our lives and give us this clothing that is beautiful and great so that we might share it with other people. How the world might be different. If that message could just get through to us today in this room and as we go out those doors and we affected the lives that we touch with that kind of love. A decision to love others more than we love our own selves. Rosa was a woman who knew very little English, but she wanted to somehow serve the children in a ghetto that she lived in with um, a lot of impoverished children. And she didn't really know how to communicate with them. But all she could learn in English at the time was, I love you and Jesus loves you. It's the only phrases that she ever learned in English. And there was this little boy, William, who lived in this ghetto that just had an affection for Rosa and would want to sit in her lap on the school bus every morning. Rosa knew very little about William, but she wanted to express to him every day, William, I love you and Jesus loves you. William, I love you and Jesus. Day after day for about two, three weeks. And the more that they sat in that bond of, I love you and Jesus loves you, the closer they got. Until the next morning, after a a Monday morning, the next morning, William wasn't on the bus. Found out later in the day that William had been beaten to death by his abusive parent. A person who came to comfort Rosa, who was heartbroken, said the last words that hit that little boy's ears were, I love you and Jesus loves you. There's an abusive world that you and I live in. You're getting ready to go out in it. There are Williams all over that world out there. What their destiny is, we do not know. But we do know two things. We can love them, and Jesus loves them. Now go minister. Let's pray. Lord God, we give our hearts to you. We give our lives to you. Thank you for the imperative of your intentional love. May we now be receptors and reflectors of that love to the world. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.